This episode starts with a like and ends with a Poe tweet tweet. Like my writing style is very much influenced by Kurt Vonnegut because he's very simplistic. Mm -hmm. You know, like he doesn't use a whole lot of, he doesn't use 15 words when five words will do. You know, he finds like the quick, efficient way of like getting your point across, but adding emphasis when you need to add emphasis. In most Kurvanica books, sometimes I just I got really obsessed with just reading and rereading the preface because Kurt Vonnegut has a great sense of just talking to the reader. Yeah, um, he really th does. It, it, that's, it's so, like, not just fun, but also casual and vulnerable mm -hmm. that uh, back when I really wanted to be a novelist and still do, I guess, in a less pretentious way, I always wanted to write where the preface is interesting mm. and write where you're talking to the audience and it just feels like a part of it. And I'm glad I did. Because I was at work and generally laughing out loud when the author physically inserts himself into the narrative, which I would not have gotten if I didn't read the preface. That was reading chapter one of Slaughterhouse-Five? Uh, or just like throughout the book as he does it? Oh, yeah. Throughout the book. Like throughout the book. Uh, well, I guess we'll save it a little bit later. This is uh, Running the Light, a uh, podcast where I interview comics from all across the nation. And today I have a good friend, James Lindsay, Lincoln Comic. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'm as you may have gotten from the preamble. We were going to be talking about an actual like literary book, like people read this in college type of book. Yeah, you uh, you asked me, you know, what was something that inspired me to like do comedy, and you know, I for me it went. I the first thing I thought of was this was this book, and that is I I can't wait to ask you why. Um, but for starters, how was your week? It's it's been it's been all right. If I've had a pretty good week, yeah, you know. Um, have you, people, I keep hearing mixed things about this Joker movie and I'm having like a real serious debate over whether or not I want to see it. I have three free tickets to Alamo cause I won them in a contest for UHF. Uh, I went to go see UHF. There was a little eating contest of eating a Twinkie wiener sandwich with cheese. Okay. Uh, I ate it first cause I was a little drunk. This was at a showing of the Joker or this showing of UHF. I got four free tickets to the Alamo to see any movie I want. And so I'm using one of them for the Joker. So I, that way, if it's good or bad, I don't lose anything. That's true. Do they do any weird things at the Alamo when they screen the Joker? I like with their, you know. I assume uh, the weird things that they always do is no kids, no mm. one 15 minutes late, mm. no phone. Mm. Uh, if you talk and people complain, you get one warning and then you're kicked out. Like that's what Alamo always does. And that's why okay. I love the Alamo. See, I don't really go there all that often because I live in Omaha. Or sorry, no, I live in Lincoln. Excuse you live me. in Lincoln. I yes. live in Lincoln, right. And the Alamo is in Omaha. Yes. Um, but like our movie theater in Lincoln, the Grand, you know, it's it's pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, and the Alamo, like the stuff they do, to, I don't know, to me it seems a little like cheesy sometimes. I don't know. It seems like a gimmick, but I've also yeah. been to non-Alamo uh, non theaters and I've seen people just on their phone. I've seen people talking. My mom, she goes like once every few years and every year there's always somebody right in front of her mm -hmm. just sitting and talking. Uh, and granted, she wants to watch uh, Valentine's Day in peace. Right. So like I like being in a room and they also do fun little things like I saw for the first, seeing Indiana Jones and the... Uh, 
What's the first one? The first Indiana Jones on 35 And the Temple millimeter. of Doom? No, that's the second one. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Raiders, Ark. Yeah, there we go. Uh, in 35 millimeter for the first time. Stuff like that is why I like the Alamo. Okay, but does that really add anything to the movie seeing it in 35 millimeter? Yes. yes. You see, you say that, but. does Okay, you own a vinyl player, don't you? Uh, I do, yeah. Yeah. A hey, record watch, player, yeah. Does, does, watch, does listening to something in vinyl sound different than listening to something as a CD? It sounds worse. And it's a huge. Really? I love it because I love like the analog feel of it and just like the idea of like putting a record on and setting it up. And, oh, like, it dropping. sounds better to me. No, see, I think I think a CD, you know, like an old CD player yeah. stereo, you know, because that's what I grew up having. Like my dad had, you know, he had a vinyl, he had a record player and he had like tapes and he yeah. had CDs and shit. But the CD is just so much easier. It's such less of a pain in the ass, you know, like it is. I do hear a lot smaller sounds on a record player. Like I was, I have random access memories on digital and you hear all those like pops and cracks and shit. That's if it's bad pressing or if it's really old or my favorite, cause I own a couple of them going through my old house bootlegs. Yeah. Fucking love. Like I have multiple bootlegs of cheek and Chong cause my uncle was super into it. So it's like, I own a bunch of bootlegs and that's where the pops come in. Well, also dust. Also does. Like, you know, I have like, you know, air pre- compressors and like the canned air and the brushes yeah. and the washers and all that shit. And fucking dust gets everywhere. It's, it's like the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I work in it. Uh, I work, I, I fix point of sales and dust is in every place all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything's a nightmare. Uh, any shows this week? Anything fun this week? Uh, I, you know, upcoming, I have, uh, Power hour this Saturday at the back line. I just remembered. So do I. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, anything that you just did previously? Uh, recently, uh, I did a uh, Prairie pride brewing. They, they did an Oktoberfest. Nice. Uh, How fucking, was that? It was, it was pretty sweet. It was in their main, uh, brew hall, like in the yeah. back with the tanks and shit. Um, Mallory Wallace was the headliner. Oh yeah. I haven't seen her uh, in a minute. Yeah. She, she crushed. Right. Uh, Sam opened the show. Uh, Sam Bontrager. Of course. He did great. I went after him. I feel like I did pretty good. And then Mallory just murdered. Hell so yeah. It was a fun show. That they, sounds like a great lineup. They, yeah. They, and they, it, they packed it out too. Hell yeah. Um, in terms of shows recently, last night, instead of going to the open mic, I did this show right before it, Fast and Fresh, which mm-hmm. is kind of the same thing. It's just testing out your new jokes. But right. I got eight minutes to do it. Um, and the crowd was a little dead in the beginning, uh, and I jumped on and, uh, it was just fun. It was like, there was like eight people maybe. And I just decided to, I wasn't feeling good emotionally or in my headspace, So I just decided to just like relax and like, kind of yeah. just talk and tell my jokes. And it, that, that that's it what fun. backline is great for is like, cause this was that backline, right? It was that backline. The atmosphere of backline, you know, where it's just so much more intimate and you're right up close, you know, when that room is like full, it's like the best room in town. Like, oh, yeah. it's so good. Uh, it's popping. It's yeah. It's so much energy. And even when there's like when only eight people like shows like that, I feel like I have to work harder up front, you know, a yep. lot more to like really get them, you know, Go comfortable on. to laugh because that's one thing about crowd size. I've always found that bigger crowds, you know, it seems like they're more likely to laugh because my suspicion is that they feel more anonymous. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like you can laugh at something in a big crowd and nobody like turns around and sees, Oh, Hey, you're the one who 
laughed at that. Whereas like, if it's a crowd of only four people, everyone knows, everyone knows who laughed at yeah. everything. Yeah. At yeah. all times. And that, yeah, they get really shy. So with crowds like that, you have to work a lot harder up mm -hmm. front, but if you can get them like comfortable to laugh and yeah, that's when you have to get everybody laughing even for a small. Yeah. And, and I find play that room. Like it's full baby. <laughs> I find myself moving more in a small room than a big room. Moving around? Yeah, like from one side of the stage to the other, especially like one guy's alone. Because I never want to have one person feel like they're alone. And even if I'm just, if I'm talking like I'm like on the podcast, if I'm just like not high energy, not low energy, just natural, yeah. telling my jokes, uh, I am a moving person. Um, and I feel like it comes off as more natural. Without no, for about sure. It. Yeah. And you get like a little more sense of like an act out into your material, you know, right. if you like move around more. Um, the thing about, ba I love backline, but sometimes that stage, it is creaky as fuck. So you it can't is. really, can I say fuck on this? Yeah. Is fuck. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. Um, yeah, dude, the, the stage. I really wish they would like put some sort of like rubber, like, I don't know, stopper system, yeah. you know, I like uh, this. I, I kind of like the wood. I like the, well, it, I like the wood too. It feels old. For some reason, just like vinyl with the popping, the cracking makes it feel like part of the character. Um, I did make a slight aside noting that someone moved their seat and because it's just a regular seat on a floor, you just hear everything. And that can- With like the scraping? Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that could kill your momentum or it can just like add to it. Like it's kind of fun. Yeah. It's also shitty. Like it's also like- it's also going to cause a problem. Like I just, there's a bunch of nails on it and it's like it. Ugh. Uh, when I took uh, level one at the back line, mm -hmm. I, uh, I hit my head. Like really I did. I was doing an act out scene. Yeah. Uh, and I fucking like fell backwards and like, that's cement on the, on that wall. Well, I hit my head on the wood. I'm pretty Oof. sure. But, uh, this was like years ago. Not to, I don't want to, if, do you edit this at all? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you can leave this in. I don't know. You all say this and you decide whether or not you want to leave it in. Uh, I was told by the people at the back line uh, not to sue them because they didn't have insurance. <sighs> like, please don't uh, sue. Like, all right. I want to keep that in. <laughs> but, okay, if our if our editor Rich says I have no problem, then I have no problem. Let's live. Just cut out the part where I'm asking if you should cut it out. Yeah. No, actually, okay, no, that's gonna, can, that's gonna be there beginning now. I don't know. There we go. <laughs> but uh, actually, no, that's our title. Please don't sue. <laughs> it's a good title. It's a good title. I think my my favorite and the one that I knew wasn't gonna. It's also one of the lowest uh, viewed episodes. Is uh, friendship is worse than incest? Friendship is worse than incest. Yep. Just an aside in the conversation. Uh, it was just weird and in the moment. Mm. Mm. That, that's you said that like in a. Me and Larry Smith, the comic from Illinois, we brought it up together. That was our yes and baby. Larry Smith, was he the dude who called himself Larry from Boston? Do you remember Larry from Boston? I do remember Larry. From, no. That's it's, not the same Larry? That's not the same okay. Larry. He did the panic room with- Larry Smith. Larry Smith. He did the panic room. He did the panic room uh, about uh, like six months ago. With and I forgot his name. He's a very nice guy uh, a little while back, back in February. And I was on with them. We also did an, uh, did some stuff in Illinois. Um, oh, right on. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I like I like traveling. I like I like uh, Springfield, Illinois. It's a fun comic scene. 
Yeah, I just got back from Denver a couple weeks ago. How was that? It was good. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, awesome. Uh, my, oh, what did you go do shows in Denver? Mm-hmm. Okay. Not just yeah. see the scenery and smoke weed. Uh, well, no, didn't really. I smoked a little bit of weed because you can't, you know, people offer to smoke weed. You got to smoke weed. But uh, I guess, you know, also like uh, to, to do shows and to hang out and to, you know, just kind of a little bit of a vacay. Yeah. in there, you know, some kicking it. Um, what are the shows like out in Denver? I haven't been out there yet. Okay. So one of the best shows yeah. uh, is, uh, it's actually not in Denver. It's in Fort Collins. Okay. The Colorado Room uh, run by David Rodriguez. It okay. is one of the best rooms in the country for Damn. like, yeah. The, one of the rooms, it's like not a club. It's just like, you know. A little black box theater. Actually, it's, it's you go in and it's this restaurant but it's got like this, they have a really tiny kind of cramped indoor space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then out back, they have this huge, you know, outdoor area that's covered. It has like a roof over Ooh, it, but it's nice. kind of like you've got like rafters, kind of like air flowing through or whatever. And uh, it's huge. They have space heaters out there and there's a stage out there. Mm, that's nice. And so they do the music and all kinds of stuff. But every Thursday they do comedy okay. at the Colorado room. Yeah. Nice. fucking... Nice. It is a killer show. Fuck yeah, man. Uh, this week's been pretty, like, besides the Fast and Fresh show, I, I had a lot of fun with that, actually. And coming up, I have the Power Hour with you. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing non-comedy stuff this week. like Non-comedy uh, stuff. Uh, my friend. So stuff that's not funny? Yeah. Like, I, uh, no, not funny at all. I went to a friend's house who I knew through a movie group forum. And uh, and also worked with my brother. We went to the, uh, his place, and there was a poker tournament. Okay. I won that poker tournament. Oh, nice. What were you playing, like Texas Hold'em? Omaha, because it was our 10th week anniversary, so it was Omaha in Omaha. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. I, I like Omaha because that means you have to ststay in and bed a little bit longer, so you wait for the three cards, uh, all your cards to drop because you only use two. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, it was a $10 buy-in. Uh, I ended up winning 75 First place gets 75, second place gets 50 since it was attorney. Uh, you, you know what my favorite poker game is? It's like it's called, well, I grew up in Omaha playing. We had a weekly poker night in right. high school, and uh, we played a game. This is probably going to be offensive to your Council Bluffs listeners. We uh, we played a game called Council Tucky. You ever play Council Tucky? I've heard the name, but I might know it. Say what it is, Council Tucky. It's just like Omaha, so yeah. you've got you know four cards in your hand but you can use any combination of those four cards you use oh. one to four of all because in omaha you have to use you two. have to use two yeah but in council tucky you can use all, all of them of or yeah. none of them you know it's really like, nice yeah. okay because yeah i had certain times where the hand is like i only have i only need this one card about throwing the other one just for fuck's sake uh and i can only use two when i was like i might have two pairs and i don't know what the other one has so i just had to like guess yeah it was fun uh multiple times i won just by like betting $9 on nothing and mm. just seeing if I can uh, big dick my way through this group of people playing with your chips is fun, it you is know, but you so got to have much. a lot of chips to do that. I had about a hundred dollars at the end of the night. Nice. Um, and what was more fun is at the end, we all, it ends at midnight, but since it was like waiting to see who between the two of us will lose out of money, we both had 50 bucks at the time. We were trying to debate on what we wanted to do. And I went, fuck it. If I lose, I still get 50 bucks. So I went all in. On just a pair. A pair of what? Aces. It's a pretty good pair. It Sorry is a pretty good I'm pair. Oh, that's fine. Burping. I I chose the bubbly water before the podcast, and that was a that was a dumb choice on my part. 
I get you. <laughs> it took about like, because like every like uh, chip is like five cents, 10 cents, 25. Mm. It took the dealer like five minutes just to count it. And the other guy, instead of just dropping said, fuck it, I'm also going in. Mm. Uh, it was amazing. I love doing, that was fun. That sounds awesome. The one time I won big in a poker game uh, was in high school. We were doing dealer's choice and it was kind of getting towards the end of the night. And this right. was, it wasn't a tournament. It was just like a house game where anybody could buy in at any point, you know, if they mm -hmm. showed up and people could buy back in. But this was like getting close to like two o'clock, you know, and uh, fucking uh, it's my turn to deal. Yeah. And we're playing like everything all night long. We're playing Hold'em. We're playing Omaha. We're playing fucking Blackjack. Texas Cross was another. We didn't play Blackjack. Oh, it was Texas just all, Cross? Texas Cross is Omaha, but you have five cards across the board. And then above the middle card, you have two cards going up and two cards going below it. So it's a okay. two. Okay. Yeah. Two five card boards that intersect at one card. Yeah. And so you get to choose? Yeah. You get to okay. choose which, you know. Which is fun because it you know you get like a lot more combinations that you have yeah. to keep track of in your head. A person could have a lot more outs, yeah, and a crazy amount of outs in Texas uh, cross. But uh, anyway, it was my turn to deal, and yeah. I decided to play Council Tucky. And this was like everybody kind of agreed this is like the last game of the night, the last game right. of the night. I'm dealing. I call. Uh, let's play Council Tucky. Everybody's like, "Fuck yeah!" Because Council Tucky gets like really dirty, you know. Yeah. Um, case in point, what happened? Uh, I got dealt three Queens and some fucking, I don't know. I can't remember what the kicker was. Uh, and then the flop comes out and it's fucking, I think it was like Jack queen nine shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, then I think, uh, and everybody immediately, like they're already like biting on it, you know, to, right. like, before the, before the flop. And, uh, I'm last to act cause I'm the dealer. So I have like that extra advantage and I, you know, I fucking call or whatever. Uh, then the, uh, the turn comes out and I think it was like a 10. So now like there's a straight draw out there, a really high straight draw that everybody is like sniffing. And before it even comes to me, like it's already been raised and I'm just like fucking calling, you know, the old, cause I, I've got four of a kind, right? You know, I'll Doesn't... beat any straight, you know, yeah. the only thing I'm not going to beat is a straight flush, which this was not like, it was mixed, whatever, you know, yeah. um, Mixed suits on the on the board. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the final card was, but pretty much everybody made the straight they needed to make. So right up until the very end, like everybody, like this dude goes all in, this dude goes all in, this dude goes all in. And I, uh, you know, I had like, I think I was second on like chip count. So I had enough to go like all in, you know, and like still cover all those bets. So like there was no... There's the no side, worry. Yeah. The side pot, the dude didn't even fucking worry about the side pot, but, um, everybody turns over and it's fucking straight, straight, straight. I turn over four Queens <laughs> and I made like, I think the pot was 175 bucks. God damn. It was $200 total in the thing. And I took down 175 of it. God damn. Yeah. So like a gamble. Got my car keyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I, I, uh, I shat talk with, because I hang out with comics and all we do is just make fun of each other. I was shit talking a bunch of just random people and everyone was like, you're a sore winner. I go, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm not used to talking to people. I, I don't think I'm, I need to venture out and talk to people without making jokes. Uh, but it was, it was fucking hell. It was fun. Uh, other than that, I've been picking up games, to the DS picked up animal crossing for the first time, stuff like that. 
I've play I've been playing uh on my Switch. I have Super Mario Maker 2. I've been How playing that a lot. Is that? I don't know. It's it's fun. It's not as fun as you think it would be, you know, cuz there's no one thing that's great about like Super Mario World and like those other yeah. I don't know about you, but I grew I up love playing Mario World. Yeah. Um it was the sense of like exploration, you know, yeah. on like the outer world and world area or whatever and there's really there's no you don't really get that. It's just yeah. courses that people make. Some of them are like really crazy, fun, and challenging. I've seen one that was a binary thing that has like millions of options. Like, yeah, that's yeah. interesting, but man. It's also really interesting to see like some people like they'll they'll build these levels that actually kind of like replicate like other like somebody built like uh, you know, Donkey Kong, the original Donkey yeah, Kong yeah, where I you're jumping yeah. over barrels. And people do that with like all kinds of stuff. Like there's Metroid and fucking uh, ping pong and fucking brick breaker. Like, mm. all, yeah, I saw a first person dungeon crawler where Mario yeah. is. Yeah. Just going through pipes to make go through the dungeon. There are a lot of Zelda uh, esque levels, you know, because why not? People do like puzzles, like memory games. It's Oof. that's kind of interesting. That's that's fun, but like my desire is like I don't want to make levels. That seems I don't not make fun. levels either. Okay, so you do, have you felt like you've gotten your money's worth out of just playing levels? Well, I mean, it was sixty bucks, and I've probably put about sixty bucks worth of time into. Okay, it, then you know? then yeah. Do you ever see like those crazy Mario levels that people post online, yes. like the Kaizo Mario? Oh hell that yeah! Shit? Yeah, you can like. That oh, speed runs of that speed runs. I do a lot of speed runs. Those are kind of fun. Yeah. Um. But like that Kaizo Mario stuff, that's really fun to like try to like. Uh, it's also really frustrating. It, Actually, that part kind of sucks. I'm going to take all this back. I, I like it when like actual good level designers make uh, Kaizo levels because that scratches that super Meat Boy itch mm. that I don't get a lot. Um. But when like 13 year old Timmy who doesn't know what a level design is just fucks around. The uh, last game that I played that was super fun was Cuphead. That yeah, Cuphead's came out on strip. Great. Have you played that? Fuck yeah. Did you beat it? No, I've been 100%ing World 1, and I'm working 100%ing World 2 and getting pacifists, so it's been taking a while. Mm. Uh, and I can't wait because it's it, that's been really fun for me. The first time I played it, I just went through. It was hard enough I, you yeah. know, that I was like, if I can just like beat the game, you know, that's get the to, challenge. to that. Yeah, but now that I, I beat it, now I'm trying to beat it on uh, super hard. Beat every level on right. super hard. There's also the pacifist challenge. That's what I've been doing. I got that completed. The, I uh, I did the. I just finished the carnival one right. for oh, pacifist, yeah, yeah. where uh, it's like flipping gravity back and forth. That yeah, that's a super fun. What was fun about that is I had a bunch of coworkers at work who also picked up Cuphead when it came out and said that's our wall. Like a lot of people said that's my wall. I can't get past that. And I went. I first time I played it, I pacifist it, and I took a picture of it. And she, like threw it up on the work chat just to piss people off. Nice. Cause uh, it's games are fun, but also showing that you can, you can do it. Well, it's also fun. Yeah. 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 For sure. That's, that's been my week. Anything else? No, I think that, I mean, unless we want to talk politics, that pretty much covers it. Yeah. No one's ever offered what it, what, what do you mean? Like the impeachment stuff that's been driving me and ins not insane, but also scared. Uh, yeah. It's been driving me insane too. You know what I found out today that I think is super. Wait, what happened today? Today's my, been my Saturday. I haven't turned on the news all day. Well, as far as like new stuff now, what's, what's really funny yeah. is uh, Trump is trying to throw Rick Perry under the bus. Remember former governor I saw of Texas? That. Yes. Former uh, Fine. presidential candidate. He's the. And dancing with the star 
uh, star. Was he on Dancing with yes, the Stars? Yes, he was. Figures. <laughs> He's the secretary of the Department of Energy. Uh, yeah, of Energy. Which, if you'll remember, that was the he, one he fucking couldn't name. The third agency of government, yeah. I would I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see. Oh my. I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, he <sighs> fucking... Uh, the, Trump is saying that Perry told him to call I saw the Ukrainian president. Yeah, that's insane. You know what's even more insane is Rick Perry is saying, yeah, I told him. Shut up. No. Swear to God. Yeah, he's saying, yes, I told him, but, <sighs> but I didn't tell him to investigate the Bidens. I told him to call... So he's kind of, I don't know. So he's saying to weird. call and congratulate the dude, but not to ask for the crime? No, he's, uh, Rick Perry saying he told Trump to call the Ukrainian president to get the Ukraine to fucking cooperate with the United States on uh, basically energy. Okay, so like yeah. do legal stuff, and then Trump said, I'm going to use that as an excuse to do illegal well, stuff. Well, he didn't, here's what, Here's what I learned today. Okay. That is really nuts is, and really ironic. Okay. Okay. This idea that Trump is chasing the idea that like Joe Biden and his son Hunter did something illegal in Ukraine. Yeah, it came from Q-Chan, didn't it? No, it came from a conservative author who his whole like MO is writing these fucking like books that go out to try to like damage democratic uh, presidential candidates. The last one he did uh, was about, uh, he, it came out in 2018. The one before that, the one that he released in 2015. Don't tell me this is Pizzagate. It's not Pizzagate, oh, no. Oh, thank God. It was called Clinton Cash. And that was like, he put forth the idea that like Hillary, you know, uh, and the Clinton Foundation, they were like taking this dirty Ukrainian money or whatever. That and also that's where the idea of like the private email servers and the deleted emails. That's where that came from? That came from this book called Clinton Cash that this dude wrote. And he uh, wrote it for the sole purpose of fucking taking down Hillary Clinton because he knew she was going to be the front runner. He did the same thing in 2018 and it was at, directed towards Joe Biden because that's who he thought was going to be the front the Democratic, runner. you know. Anyway, Ugh. so he, he picked up on this idea that Trump or uh, Biden's Biden's son Hunter is on the board of a gas company based in Ukraine. And uh, he was like, it's, it's corrupt uh, just because of the nepotism of it. You know, it's, I mean, uh, yeah. sure. I guess here's the thing. Like multiple news outlets have looked into that Trump or sorry, the, the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Ukraine thing. There's no evidence of any So Biden wrongdoing. had nothing to do with it. No. And the real nepotism is the fact that Jared Kushner is closing the Middle East or say, trying to fix the Middle East. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's, what is it? The Middle East peace czar? Is that what Trump called him? Yeah. And that if no one else can fix the opioid crisis, it would be Jared. Oh, please. Oh, you All right. So why did you pick this book? Well, like I said, uh, you told me about the podcast and you said, uh, yes, tell me like, we will talk about one, like the thing that inspired you the most. Um, and I think you said to do comedy. I can't remember. how. Yeah. It had to be like still in some way related to comedy. Right. Cause I know some people have said yoga or, uh, any book I go, it should still be humorous. Like I'm not gonna do catcher in the rye 
I've never read Catcher in the Rye. It's it's on my. That's one of the ones where I'm like, yeah, I need to. I need to read it. I should have read it back in high school, but I, it was never oh, I, assigned to me. Oh, it was assigned to me in high school. The character's really shitty, uh, and so because it's so well written that this character seems like a believable person, it makes the reading process unbearable. Yeah, but it's also something that has captivated my mind for about over ten years. Mm. So it's it's quite good. I'll have to I'll have to read that. The thing that I'm kind of embarrassed about now is if I read it now, I feel like I'm reading youth fiction. You know, oh, reading Catcher in the Rye. It's like written for like high school kids, right? No, it's not. Okay, no. all right. Uh, what it reads more like is a sad guy at an open mic, just saying that everything else is fucking fake and oh, that yeah, the world doesn't phonies. get him. Yep, phonies yeah. and like uh, real art is like it's it's just all plastic and fake. Like mm. that is what it it sounds more like a guy at an open mic that we have met. I wonder how different my temperament and my sense of humor when you ask me like uh you know name something that inspired you like comedy wise for me the first thing i thought of was like where do i get my sense of humor and the first thing that popped in my head was slaughterhouse five i can see it i wonder how different i would be today if instead of slaughterhouse five i had read catcher in the rye it'd be a little more unbearable really yeah are you saying i'm unbearable no no, you're 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 chill now, but you'd be I try to be as like kind of quiet, but also angry. Like holding yeah. field sounds like an incel. Like that's if you read that, that might so be it's what like it, the Joker movie. Yes, in book form. actually, fucking yes, that is exactly what it is. Like Taxi Driver, Joker, yeah. hold uh, Catcher in the Rye. Like Ca that is see, exactly what it's like. Here's the thing: I should like try to write a joke about that, but I've never read Catcher in the Rye, so I don't I don't have the. It was and also, I've never seen the Joker movie. I don't I, know. Is that going to get the where you anyway? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm probably going to watch it and go. This is fine. Like, it's not uh, because I've heard like again in that movie group, I've heard so much shit about it and so many positive things about it. It's when, so yeah, th that's what's crazy. People yeah. either say it's horrible or it's amazing or even all the news articles like Todd Phillips saying that in PC culture, you can't tell jokes. Uh, and like comedy is dead because of PC culture guy who made hangover and hangover too. Yeah. Uh, like, sure, dude. I don't think, com no, I think comedy isn't dead. It's comedy is better off. It's way better. Yeah. Without people who make the hangover and just make the lowest. Well, nothing against the hang is the hangover. Is that problematic now? There's actually one joke that's super problematic. Like he drops like the F word, like the slur. Oh, uh, and that's like one of the become punchlines, but like, I also just don't find shock humor, like not shock humor, like gross out movies, like uh, American Pie, like Hangover. I don't find them funny. They're just like boring. Well, one thing too, to keep in mind, it, this isn't, you know, I'm not trying to defend these movies or anything like that, but they are a product of their time. They are. And in early know. 2000s, it, movies were more escapism, trying not to focus on the real world. Well, movies have always been escapism, trying not to focus on the real world. I mean, like, I mean, in like early 2000s, like right after 9-11, there was a clear good, clear bad in a lot of movies. Whereas like now you have your Joker, which is morally, pretends to be morally great. Well, Mike, I see the Joker. He's a bad guy, right? Yeah, but you're, the movie asks you to feel sympathetic. Apparently, apparently the real bad guy is uh, society, society, and also apparently morality in the middle. Yeah, it just sounds. It's lame. dumb. It's so dumb. Uh, I mean, can I just have like my clown guy beat up a beat up another guy with a crowbar? That sounds dumb too. I'm not a big fan of superhero movies in general. That's fair. The only ones I really like are the Nolan Batman films. That's and fine. I don't like three. Batman Forever. 
Rip. Uh, you know what? No, explain that. I want you to explain that. Okay, Batman and Robin is hot garbage. Nobody's denying that. Right, but forever is not not Dude, garbage. You've got fucking in that movie, uh, Val Kilmer, who right. is it? Peak badass Val Kilmer, although Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, he was he was that's I would say that's too. his most, but yeah. Um you've got Jim Carrey when he's peak Jim Carrey. Yeah, and that's Hell yeah. that's peak Jim Carrey. And again, it's a product of its time. Early nineties. Okay. Everything yes. is campy, you know. We're the only superpower in the world. Fucking it's money. Things are great. Yeah. Um Tommy Lee Jones. Right. Right. Who was so pissed at Jim Carrey for being a goofball. Like well, I'll say, he just wouldn't talk to him. Is that true? Yeah, I've never actually like heard about how. Oh, what he a fucking, fucking hated Jim Carrey. Horrible. That must have been on the set to yeah. be making that movie. But you know, that was when like movies were still kind of like silly. You know. Oh like, yeah. Uh, a, a more recent example of that, but still pretty old, is The Fifth Element. Yeah, man, you that know? movie's just silly, dumb. It's just like a, it's kind of like adult themed, I guess. You know, it's got I some like you guess? know. But it's also about a woman that falls from the sky and a magical piece of paper that allows you to get in any door. Like, what was the magical piece of paper? Multipass. Oh, the multipass. That's, oh, that's, what, just, that's, that's, that's your it, ID. That's what that is. Yeah. And we have that now. We do. I mean, My okay. job. I have a fucking. I have that too. I have a card that I have to keep on me. It opens doors and it fucking locks me into my computer. Actually, my yeah, my my phone allows me to pay for stuff and gets me into places. Uh, can get me into concerts, so I get it. The whole I, Apple Wallet, it, oh Google, Google Wallet, Google Google Play, uh, Google Pay, and shit like that. It's really good. Uh, anyways, back to the book. Back to Sorry. the book. Quite the tangent. The humor in this is like I was. I took an Uber up here, and I said that I I read Mash. I read the book Mash, and that book is somewhat anti-war, or it just mm -hmm. it shows the horrors of war, while still being kind of goofy. This is like very, very anti-war. And mm -hmm. my Uber driver says, yeah, but without being in your face about it, I go, it's it's in your face, but not in an aggressive way. It just strips everything and throws it on a table and it's bare. Yeah. And that's what I think sometimes where the humor comes in is it just takes the subtlety and pageantry out of things we dance around and just makes it matter of fact. And that's some partly where the humor is. Yeah, it's being able to laugh at horrible things. Yeah. Which is, you know, something that I probably like really didn't do until I read Slaughterhouse Five for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I probably still found like morbid things humorous, you know, when I was a kid, but like, I don't know, like this, there are things that, uh, I don't know if it's in Slaughterhouse Five, but it's in another book where he talks about, maybe it's Time Quake I'm thinking of. I don't know. Uh, he says that like the hardest he's ever laughed was when he one time saw a lady come flying horizontally out the side of like a San Francisco trolley car. Yeah. And just like the idea that like, you know, whatever has happened is like put her in the worst possible scenario that she's okay now, but in like less than a second, she's going to be in a tremendous amount of pain. Maybe that's not the thing that he I found funny, but I, I, anyway, that, that idea, I'm not saying I would laugh at that. The way it's described but, is a little funny. Yeah. Yeah. The laughing at the misfortune of others, you know, it is. And like, as not, long as they're not too seriously hurt. Right. And not in like a, I hate using the term punching up and punching down. Cause it always feels so like, I don't know, like sterile, but like in a way that like the author is in there, 
not as Billy Pilgrim, who he describes as actually another man who actually dies in Dresden. Uh, well, Billy Pilgrim doesn't die in Dresden. No, the guy that Billy Pilgrim's based off of died in Dresden from what he called thousand a uh, thousand mile stare, mm. where the shock of it all just yeah. broke his head. Seen some shit. Yeah, like the Germans didn't take care of him. He just sat there. Was this in the interview that you listened to? Yeah, I did listen to an interview, and that's what Bill, uh, Billy Pilgrim's based off of. And make going back now saying that out loud, that is totally explains, is a great inspiration point for like trying to view things in like a fourth dimension and just kind of spacing off in time traveling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the time traveling is why the, not in a story sense why the book is funny, but the time traveling is a good example of how the book derives its humor by taking in, the reason why we say things with pageantry, why we say things maybe with uh, flowery language and with euthanisms is because we're still in it. We're still kind of raw with the emotions and by kind of almost fourth dimensionally taking a step back and looking mm -hmm. at the event, yeah. you then get to see the absurdity of Kurt Vonnegut calling Billy uh, to ask if his uh, daughter is available while drinking. Mm. Uh, and that's one of the parts that made me laugh out loud. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Or saying... That was me. I shat my brains out in a latrine in uh, in one of German. my favorite moments in the book is when they get off the the cattle car in Dresden and Billy Pilgrim's out there looking out at this fucking you know landscape the the skyline and behind him somebody says Oz, right? And he says and that, that was that was me. That was me. I, that yeah. was I. That was the author of this book. The only other town I knew was Indianapolis. Oh yeah, because that's where Kurt Vonnegut is from, or, and that's yeah. yeah, and that's what he says. And I I laughed because like it, you're just taking yourself out of it and looking at the absurdity of it. Mm. And I think when people want to tell dark jokes, they want to they want to grab you alongside and point, and go, "Hey, isn't this weird?" Whereas like a really effective way of doing it is just taking a step back and pointing at it and just saying, "I guess this happened." Like when I tell the joke about losing someone. Uh, I lost uh, a grandma who raised me, and I remember going to see her for one of the last times wearing a shirt on accident that said, it's been nice knowing you. Mm. Like, it's it's funny in and of itself without yeah. having to make a big deal of it, and that's what the book does. The night my grandma died, uh, the night before, she always watched ER, like, every Thursday night, and uh, I, for one, whatever reason, like, this one particular night, uh, I was watch. I always would watch Everybody Loves Raymond with her because right. that was also on Thursday, right before ER. And then after Everybody Loves Raymond was over, then you know my mom would say, "Okay, you know, James, you have to go to bed." You know, and so my grandma would stay in the TV room and she would watch it anyway. Watch ER. That is, of course. Uh, this one night, for whatever reason, I got to stay and watch ER with my grandma. Like my mom never came and told me it was time to go to bed, and neither you know. So I was like, "All right, I'm going to watch ER ER with my grandma." And then you know. But uh, in the morning I woke up, my mom, she like woke me up, got me ready, sent me off to school and sent me and my two sisters, but all of us off to school. Um, and then, uh, fucking when I came home from school that day, my uncle Mike was like at my kitchen table, like waiting for me. And I was like, usually grandma was waiting for me, Oh, you know, watching her soaps, you know? Yeah. Anyway, he told me that she had passed away, uh, in the night. And that's why I found out later that. Uh, my grandma and my aunt and, you know, they, my mom, like they all kind of knew that this was, you know, it was probably going to be the, that night. Yeah. Um, so they just like, let me sp stay longer. Huh? But anyway, okay. So this is what, this is my ability to laugh at horrible stuff. Uh, 
do you know what episode? I felt so bad when I found out that my grandma had passed away because the episode that we had watched together was the episode where the black dude got fired from the hospital. And I felt so bad that that was like my grandma's, the last episode that she ever got to see was that because she, you know, she, she was one of her favorite characters. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a weird, that's a weird, yeah, like it's a weird moment in time to step back and go, this is weird. And then let's just enjoy that this is weird, like these moments in time. And I guess, yeah, like a comic's job is look at these weird moments in time, putting them all together and just enjoying the moment or pointing out how weird it is. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's like the uh, comedy that like changes your way of thinking about something. Yeah. Those, that kind of comedy, that's like the best, you know, it and is. That's, that's what I strive for. Like in my own comedy, I don't really do that great a job of it sometimes, at least not as good. I feel like my best jokes are jokes where I can make that happen. You know, mm-hmm. um, I can change the way the audience thinks about something, um, something that they like find funny and like, you know, they'll agree with it afterwards, you know? Uh, Kurt Vonnegut and Slaughterhouse Five, like his way of thinking about things, totally skewered how I thought about things. I, know? I, yeah. I mean, if I read this as a kid, I would be. I mean, I'm anti-war because I grew up in the Iraq War, but this would make me way more like feel like more politically active and more understanding of st- stuff like that. I feel like. Yeah. 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 I also, yeah, I, I try to be politically active and stuff, but that's just because I like to feel like I know what's going on. You know? That's, that was me in college. I ended up reading thousands of news articles a day for forensics because I did extemporaneous speaking. And so now I still read the news every day to try and understand what's going on. Uh, now I wish I don't. <laughs> it's a little scary these days. Yeah. But it's always been scary. It's it's you always know, been you know. scary, but this is like scary in that what's going to happen yeah, this next is fucking way. terrifying. Right. Yes. Yeah. This is, uh, I always wonder if people, I always wonder like, hey, what's it like in a moment in time? It's like, now I get Watergate. Now I get it. This is like, people say this is stupid Watergate. Yeah, John Oliver, stupid Watergate. Calls it stupid Watergate too, because his first stupid Watergate was the Mueller investigation. He already had a stupid Watergate? Technically the whole, everything the uh, Mueller investigation investigated with Russia. That's, that should just be his whole presidency. This whole thing is just, it's all... Just call it the stupid Watergate. We have water in American history. There's going to be Nixon, Watergate, Carter, and then there's going to be Obama, stupid Watergate. And then whoever the next, it's probably Warren. Probably Warren. Yeah. Yeah. Obama, stupid Watergate, Warren. That's how this whole patch of American history is going to be paved over, you know, (laughs) just fucking move on. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Hopefully. Oh God. Hopefully. Yeah. 2021 can't come fast enough. See, cracking jokes about horrible shit again. I picked it up from this book. Hell yeah. There's something about that. Like I've seen, we've seen new comics try and do like shock, shocking stuff about the real world, you know, like open your eyes, people. And there's something. It's not funny unless there's a joke there, you know. I think that's the problem that most new comics have when they try to do that is they don't actually have a joke, you know. Right. You just want to change your mind. And like, I think that changing your mind happens organically. Like, like in the preface, Kurt Vonnegut says, I don't know. It took him talking to his friend's wife at a kitchen table to go, this is going to be called Child Crusade. And I promise the theme is going to be very anti-war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like the idea of the joke comes first. And I know for me, after four years, I finally had the inklings of the ideas of, 
I want to talk about having mental illness and living with it. Mm. Not in a sad way, but like all these sad stuff will be funny to me. And I think your point or your changing the mind comes organically. I don't think it, it's your thesis. Unless you're a pro, like decades in. Yeah, I mean, but like that, I feel like with comedy, you know, you're not really giving like a, you know, a dissertation. You kind of have to, that's another thing I picked up with uh, Kurt Vonnegut uh, and his writing. Because after I read this, I read a bunch of his other books. Right. And I, at one time, wanted to try to be a writer. That's my degree is creative uh it's English with an emphasis in creative, uh, concentration in creative writing. Mine was, uh, Carney didn't have concentrations. Mine was just English. Just English? Yeah, with a minor in philosophy and art. Like, my writing style is very much influenced by Kurt Vonnegut because he's very simplistic, mm -hmm. you know? Like, he doesn't use a whole lot of, he doesn't use 15 words when five words will do. You know, he finds, like, the quick, efficient way of, like, getting your point across, but adding emphasis when you need to add emphasis. And, yeah, um, and pictures even. Well, yeah, this book has pictures. Uh, have you read Breakfast of Champions? I own it because uh, I, but I have not read it just that yet. Book is like all pictures. It's great. Really? I, have you not read it yet? No, oh. I, I picked it up when Gary Goldman said, "Hey, it's a really good book," and I said, "I'm going to read it." And then I was like, I, had, I also then found my old copy of Travels with Charlie by mm. Steinbeck, and that yeah. was the one that inspired my writing. Was Travels with Charlie? Was Steinbeck, Mice oh, and yeah. Men? Steinbeck, because he was oh Steinbeck of Mice and Men. Yep. It's, it's the, it's the use of so flowery sad. language. Oh, it's as a kid, I couldn't finish it. I, someone had to kind of read it because it was so read it to me. Cause it was so unbelievably sad. Yeah. There's uh, a, a movie with that. Uh, of mice and men. Yeah. Of yeah. mice and men, Gary Sinise. And is it John Malkovich? Does he yes. play Lenny? Yes, he does. And that is not a weird choice, but a weird choice. Hmm. You know what movie I really liked was Go on. Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah uh, I and was. And the idea they talk about in Tropic Thunder, I'm probably maybe yeah. this might be PC to say, but they talk about like going full retard. Does John Malkovich go full Stop retard? Bits and pieces. He goes. Michael Che calls the president instead of saying anything. He says he's really strong. What if he's just? What if our president is just really strong? He just has that. Strength. Mal Mal yeah, Malkovich is just very strong. <laughs> uh, and that was actually the most recent episode of uh, Weekend Update. Mm, I, you know, I haven't really. I do like Weekend Update. I like Michael Che, but I don't. I don't have broadcast TV. I YouTube or cable. I used to do it on because YouTube has all the Weekend Updates on their uh, SNL. Yeah, that's true. I page. guess I could watch it on YouTube. Yeah, that's and if you have point. Hulu, I think it's on Hulu. Well, you know, one thing that really helps that simplistic writing style is also when you're doing comedy. Yeah. You know, like uh, I try to like write my jokes the same way, like keep it short. Like keep it I, to the point. When uh, new comics ask me for advice, I tell them like, you know, if you're writing all your jokes down, like word by word or whatever, mm -hmm. that's great. Do that. And then fucking bust out a red pen and see, you know, how much you can get rid of, you know. I because of what I do is I sometimes come up with the punchline first. And that's the, I think, honestly, punchline is the easiest. Like, yeah, it's the easiest. And what I do is I go work around the punchline at a sentence or more maximum to see if you can explain it. And if it lives there, that's your joke. If you need to add a little bit more, like scaffold around what is necessary for the joke to live. Well, how do you, do you write jokes? Like, do you have punchlines that pop in your head or do yeah. you? 
Well, what it is is I talk to myself when I'm walking or when I'm driving. Mm. And so in the middle of a conversation, if a, if a something funny makes me laugh, I write that down. And it used to be, again, because of forensics, I write what I call the bones. I write uh, basically like you would write, like how you would outline an essay. Yeah. And that's how I used to write it. And then it became very free form and not great because then I would add a bunch of shit. Yeah. It is now that I've been writing word for word. Um, and once you write word for word, yeah, every new comic should learn. Just like cut anything that's not needed. Cut right. the fat. Like, yeah. There's entire, like the entire relationship with him and the uh, movie star is basically just a few paragraphs. But you you feel oh, Montana Wildhack. Yeah, Montana Wildhack. Yeah, I, it's just a few sentences, it's a like, few paragraphs. Well, he's Not got long. like whole chapters. Can I see the? Of course. Take a look at this book. This was uh, hard to find. Uh, I I wanted to find it used, and then it was hard to find that book used. Well, yeah, that's because people snatch it up. I wish I would have brought my copy. I didn't think to uh, grab it, but my co it's like an older, uh, older With the cover. V. Uh, yeah, it's got the V. Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my copy of Breakfast of Champions. Um, I thought I wanted to collect all of his books in that yeah, style. I like edition. that style a lot, but mine's like a little pocket one. It's like smaller, but yeah. I lent it to my buddy AJ in high school and he fucking drew all over the fucking thing. Fuck that. I was like, what the fuck dude? And then on the back he wrote, sorry, I drew all over it, you know, but then he, he wrote like little cartoons that he doodled in like the front cover and on the flaps and stuff. Some one of them shit. is, uh, you know, a little like skull man character that he would doodle on everything. He also put, uh, this is really funny actually. He put on the front cover inside, uh, he wrote, James Lindsay once said to me, I wish I could skate. But he fucking wrote that on the inside cover of my book. And I was like, you fucking dickhead. <laughs> anyway. Um, that, that's that's an album cover right there. An album name right there. I honestly fucking cherish my copy of it now. And yeah. that's part of the main reason is that it's got all the, you know, but yeah, the stuff with Montana Wild Hack, it takes like, it occupies a couple chapters, but. Yeah, but it's always like just a little bit. Like it occupies like towards the end about uh, back third is when they talk about like actually mating and meeting and what. Like. When I was a kid, I did, uh, when I read it for the first time, I wish that Billy got to spend more time there. Yeah. That's when it like Billy seemed the happiest, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Is in the zoo. Yeah, in the zoo on Trail Falmador. Yeah, that's you know that was that was kind of my favorite. Uh, I although I think my favorite and one that made me laugh is when he's going, he's space traveling for the first time, uh, and Ronald is trying to save him and having this fake idea of the three musketeers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and right before that, Vonnegut is saying, "Is like he this is the happiest he's ever been because no one's ever ditched him." Yeah, and then immediately just one sentence after that. They the scouts ditched him. Yeah, and I audibly laughed and felt sad. But I, I. But he was such a laughed. piece of shit. The, such until he died, he was a piece of shit. Even after he was dead, I, I didn't care. I was, I was happy to see him go. But I love the, the thing that I laughed really hard about that were, is where he's describing his childhood, right? And it's like this, you know, continuing loop of like finding somebody who's weaker than them, beating the shit out of them. And then like being friends with them until they fucking ditch him, you know? Right. And he calls it, Vonnegut calls it a cycle of violence and sex. And yes, that idea, the way he said that just like, oh man, it, it struck something in me that was like, oh my God, like that's what it is. I can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like everything about this just, 
I'm on the back. It's uh, on the back. One of the things, uh, one of the reviews says it's a book that begs you not to laugh. Mm. And uh, telling dark jokes, you hear an audience almost afraid to laugh, that like fear. But it, the book doesn't, the book is never, a, it wants you to be afraid of laughter. It just says, hey, this is all fucked up. It's kind of funny though, right? Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah, we've been talking about like finding humor in like the horrible, you know, which I think is like a defense mechanism. It know? is. And it's also just, it's just natural. Yeah. Like, a natural way to kind of like process what you're seeing, what you're experiencing. You know? Right. Yeah. I fucking, I fucking love this book. It's my so good. The thing I laughed the hardest at my absolute favorite line in the whole book was when he's trying to cheat on his wife at that party and he's got her, this mistress <laughs> yep. hitched up on the, the dryer, Yeah, you know, just shaking or whatever. And he's like having a hard time finding her bra, uh, getting it unhooked. And, uh, then it immediately cuts to him in the car and, Vonnegut says that uh, they'd been caught and it was ugly or it was like an ugly scene, an ugly thing had happened inside. Just that description of it, like the whole fallout of that, you know. Yeah. Like your imagination goes wild. Like with what could have possibly happened, you know, after they'd been caught. And can you imagine like the fucking, uh, just how awkward that whole scene would have been if you were there. Like, yeah, you know, to have that go down. Anyway, he's in his car and he's like trying to find his steering wheel. Yep. And his first attempt his method is to just windmill his arms can't find it and then decides to get methodical and like searches the whole car inch by inch can't find it and then it just like at the end is the punchline he determined it had been stolen <laughs> which upset him has he passed out in the back seat that's so fucking funny my favorite if you mind passing that it's actually towards the end because the entire book there's a character and it's uh uh poor uh Edgar Derby, who the entire time is being said he's going to be shot. Yeah, he's yeah, He's going yeah. to be shot. And then I thought it was going to be a big buildup. Last chapter, it's just... And then Edgar Derby was shot for stealing a teacup. And it's, it's set up in the beginning saying, hey, I think my climax is going to be someone is shot for a teacup because it's so bizarre, isn't it? Vonnegut says the death of the climax of the book as a whole, and your entire climax is just a sentence. Well, there's I mean, no pageantry. There's no. There's nothing fancy about it. It's just it is what it is, and take it. Yeah. Well, that's also like he kind of talks about that, like in the in that opening chapter, the preface. He says that like, you know, he witnesses the firebombing of Dresden. Yes. And that's what he thought would be a funny idea, is if instead of making the firebombing of Dresden, this fucking insane fucking thing to have witnessed right you know and you know survived you know um more so than for those who don't know more people died in the battle of dres uh in the, the fire, fire bombing, bombing. it wasn't a battle you're right it was a it was fire, a bombing. fire bombing by of the allies of a city that had granted it was you know a german city but uh, no bases, no bases, no military, no f real factories even like, and all of the quote unquote Marines or army men there were old men in canes as yeah. the book describes more people died in that town than during the atomic attacks. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that is like this horrible thing, you know, to, you know, go through or whatever. And, uh, he set up the climax to be, you know, Edgar Derby, like being Ed shot in the, you know, in the rubble, you know. Um, and he like talks about that, like in the first chapter, how he can't, can't get that to work, you know. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know if I would say like the book ends though with the prisoner exchange, right? Like he, or no, it ends with. It ends with Kirk Vonnegut taking a step back again, writing as himself. Not at the very end. I think the very last thing, yeah, is like they come out of the barn. No. And it's tweet tweet, right? Well, the last words is po tweet tweet. Yeah. Uh, Yes. But the ending of the book is um, soldiers all left to fight the Russians. Basically is they were doing the corpse mind, uh, like digging out the bodies. Mm. And then they're, uh, then they drove uh, Billy into a room to lock, uh, locked him in a room with a bunch of other Americans for two weeks while the Germans fight the Russians. And then just suddenly the door is unlocked and world war two is over. Yeah. And he looks at the emptiness of it all and he hears a bird going, Oh, tweet, tweet. Yeah. And that's, that's how the book ends. And it's just the emptiness of it all. It's just so simple. Like I don't know. Like whenever, whenever a shitty thing happens, it's just everything after that. That and after that flashback moment is so. Well, it's also empty. like, what do you expect to happen? You know. Yeah. Like you, the war is over, and like, what do you think is going to happen when you step outside? Like when you, you know, like, do you think it's going to make a sound? You know, like, do you think you know it's going to fireworks are going to go off? Like the whole hillside is going to like rise up and you know jubilation. I don't know. It's like. No, what always happens after horrible things is just, you know, birds. Uh, yeah, well, birds also, yeah. And just like, uh, I think there's a line in the book where like he talks about how quiet it is with a, like a bunch of dead people. And it's like, yeah, that's that's what you would expect. You would expect it to be quiet. Just, yeah. You know, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's just that he, he says like there's just nothing but birds. It's just empty and quiet, especially after you've murdered everybody. It reminds me of the movie The Departed, where at the very end, uh, fucking, well, uh, spoilers, but this movie's, what, 13, 14 years old? With the the one-armed man with Harrison Ford? Is that what I'm thinking of? No, you're thinking of The Fugitive. I'm thinking of The Fugitive. Yes, I am. No, The Departed, 2006, uh, Martin Scorsese. Yes, yes. Uh, Fucking after everybody gets killed, then Matt, you think Matt Damon, he's, you know, everybody else is dead, but he's still alive. Uh, and then he gets capped right at the end too. Yeah. You know, and then the last shot you see is just the gold dome of the state house and then the rat on the railing, you know. Sometimes just like the futility of it all is, can be so heavy and can just weigh you down. And I think for certain comics and for certain people, that's that's what's funny, I guess, is taking, if you're in the moment, and but if you take a step out, uh, Things are just absurd. Like, well, we talked about Bull Burnham yeah. with Maura Gillen, and we talked about the nihilism, how none of this fucking matters. Yeah. Whereas Kurt Vonnegut says, yeah, 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 nothing matters, but it's fucking wild that we think it does. And I think that's different than, like, being a depressed comic that just says, whoa, and just taking a step back and going, holy shit. Like, look at all of this. If we take a step back and look at all of it, it's insane. Yeah. Like, I, I, that's why I guess people are so upset when there's, like, all late-night comics just talk about Trump. It's like, yeah, but if you take a step back, the big scandal is that Trump paid off a hooker. No, I'm sorry, a porn star, not a hooker. Also, he's probably paid off a hooker. Uh, and See, I wonder what Vonnegut would say if he was alive today, if he were to see all this. Because he lived through, like, a good part of the Trump administration, and his thoughts were kind of like, 
like Trump he administration? That was absurd. Sorry, the uh, Bush. Bush. Bush, sorry. Yeah, it was just like he died in 07. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I meant to say Bush. Um, and he thought that was absurd. You know, like who knows what the fuck he would oh, say now. This would be insane. But sometimes you got to also wait. Like, like I said, he didn't write about this till like 20 years after it happened. That's true. So, like, sometimes when in, when serious, you got to take a But he had minute. probably tried to write about it before. Yes, he did know. say he tried to write it for a while. But if something serious or something heavy happens, wait. Not, like, wait forever. Like, wait a week. Wait a month. Wait some time to actually think. Because um, then once you... Because that's, that's how I view the time traveling. is just a man with stress and mental illness reliving these moments. And that's... That's how you view something in a fourth dimensional sense. Right. See, I, I don't know if the time, what I thought the time traveling was, was just like, kind of like, you know, it's a device to, you know, uh, get the story going. It is. Uh, you know, because he's trying to like make, you know, this, this plot, the original plot that he had in mind could not get it to work. Uh, you know, with having Derby be the fucking climax of the book, him getting shot or whatever. So his he totally makes it about somebody else, Billy Pilgrim, and just fucking, you know. And he'd also written, like, his forte when he started off was kind of like sci-fi. Oh, yeah. Um, like, uh, I'm in Here to Timbuktu has a short story of a guy that goes, wins a contest to get into a uh, rocket ship. See, here's the thing about sci-fi is that it's kind of like looked down upon from like the other yeah. like disciplines and like the literary world. And he, I think, transcends sci-fi, you know, especially yeah. like with his later stuff or whatever. He, I wouldn't classify him as a sci-fi writer, but that's kind of like what he started with, you know, with uh, the Sirens of Titan and uh, fucking Cat's Cradle. Yeah. Um. I never read Player Piano, but um, that's the first time I've heard of it, actually. Yeah, I think that was one of his first ones. Mm. Um, and I've never actually read it, so I can't speak to it. But I, uh, you know, the time travel, I think it's, you know, it that's what got me hooked immediately was when I read travel. it. Yeah. Well, I read like the I read the first chapter and I, I liked how he broke the fourth wall in the first mm -hmm. chapter. But what. Like we talked about when we both showed up here, like it's a page turner. Oh, yeah. Like I finished the book the first time I read it and like it was assigned on Monday. I had it finished by, I think, Tuesday. I took know. I took a couple of days off. I still had about 120 pages left. Mm -hmm. Got done in an hour. Yeah. Like it is a page turner. And uh, the reason why I brought what the time travel meant to me is, uh, again, that's just what I did with my lit degree. I mean, my English degree is like, what does it mean for him? I thought it kind of meant some sort of sense of post-traumatic stress disorder and trying to relive those memories. Uh, and the best yeah. way to relive those memories is take time and then review it and try and look at it as an outsider going in. And that's kind of how, at least how, when I was reading it, how, and I always bet with pronouncing the aliens names, uh, Trophimidorians, that's how they view time is basically, uh, everything at once and just viewing it almost like a diorama. Yeah. It feels like, like a stretch of the Rocky mountains, like a stretch of the Rocky mountains. Yes. Yeah. Or like, ev uh, a, a, every human is like a millipede. With baby it's like, legs uh, and pearls on a string. You pearls see on a string. one yep. right after the other, as you go down the string, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, that way, since it's a comedy podcast, I try and relate it back 
that's how you should view writing serious shit or writing like stuff about serious events is like what leads, like what are the pearls in this? Not mm. how the pearl is made, not. Well, I also think it forces you to like look back at like the bigger picture, you know? Yes. Like look at things with like a wider lens, you know, and see like, okay, you know, this isn't just something that's affecting me, you know, look beyond it, you know, and see, okay, how is this affecting everybody? Mm -hmm. And in terms of like comedy, that's great because you can get people to like, you know, relate to you, you know, by searching for what that like broad perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and when you're just writing as an elite service, it's incredibly challenging because most narrations, it's very in, rather internal or focused on one perspective. Yeah. And so writing it in this almost three-dimensional way is, uh, I think that's part of why it's a pace turner. I it's, think that's why he kind of, uh, when we talk about the time travel, I think he used it to kind of like uh, play with that idea. You know, yeah. with the the step back and look at the whole bigger picture. You know, yeah. Um, because then when the you know anyway, yeah, you you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I I get it. Um, it's like it's a book that's not when we, we it's called a black side uh, satire book, and it's not intent. It's not insanely funny all the way through. Oh, I think it's I laughed well maybe i didn't laugh consistently but i found like the tone of the whole thing kind of humorous you know it was it has almost not sarcastic yeah 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 kind but of a semi-sarcastic kind of yeah yeah but like in terms of like i would say punchlines it's spattered throughout uh at just the right amount of pace uh right right pace mm -hmm. uh to just kind of showcase how weird all of this is and it's never during the alien scenes the alien scenes i think are the least funny it's the war where i i find most of the punchlines or where the where the humor is well early on in that first chapter there you know when you're dealing with like billy he's behind enemy lines and yeah the, uh, the three musketeers and yeah some of the descriptions like uh you know well i think ronald got his whole fucking squad killed because he like fired an anti-tank round from a fucking concealed position. Yeah. And it fucking charred the snow. And so this tank, and he missed the tank. Yeah. And the fucking, you know, tank just like turned around and saw where they were shooting and fucking, anyway. Yeah, that's really funny. The idea of like, uh, get, out of the, get out of the road, you dumb motherfucker. And the idea that like the word motherfucker is like what stirred, you know, Billy awake. Or the, just something about the Englishman. Like the the Englishmen having this still sense of proper and wanting to be clean when the Americans yeah. are that's they were basically in a concentration camp. They were locked inside it was a POW of a train. camp. Yeah, yeah, POW camp. Yeah. And like this idea of still wanting to keep the latrine clean. Yeah. And still wanting to put on plays. That's still hilarious. And they stockpile all their rations. And, yeah. You know, they put out a feast for these guys who are coming in, like these Americans, because they're so excited because all they've had to talk to is just each other, you know, and the Russians on the other side of the wire. Yeah. They can't speak Russian and the Russians are getting like what the Germans did to their Russian POWs. Holy fuck. It's, I mean, it's not nearly as bad as what they did to their Jewish prisoners, right. but you know, they, I think I heard that Germany actually tested the gas chamber on Russian POWs. Like the very first one they did it. To, anyway. Really? Yeah. That's, that's not very funny. Uh, but you know, the, I, 
the idea that like these English dudes, you know, they fucking lay out the welcome mat for the Americans and they're just, the Americans are crude and fucking crass and they just fucking, they're yeah. vulgar well, it's and not, they it's fucking not that. shit everywhere. Yeah. They fucking, they're, they're just a fucking haggard mess, you know? Yeah. Because they were locked up in like a train and they're mad that they're shitting and whatnot because their stomachs yeah. are all so shriveled from not eating that they, I love Lucy, a fucking line in the sand. Yeah. Uh, so that the Americans are on one side and the Englishmen are on the other. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just so like, that is more bizarre than, than anything with in space. Like that is, I, I find more bizarre and had to like read a couple of times just to understand more so than just going to sleep and now he's in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or anything that uh, Trout writes. Yeah, I love Kilgore Trout. All oh, those stories, like the Jesus story, is actually like uh, such a fun and interesting. The idea, story. That, like, it's not it, the reason why Jesus was a bad guy to kill is because of who he was connected to. Yes, you know, like oh boy, they killed the wrong guy this time. <laughs> like, yeah, that's so funny. Or the other Jesus story, where the a, a doctor goes back in time to with a stethoscope. To see if Jesus actually dies. Yeah. So he's one of the guys that takes Jesus down from the cross and puts a stethoscope up to his chest. Goes, yeah, he's actually dead. Or and he met Jesus when he was twelve years old, and two Romans ask him to build a cross with his dad, and his, him and his dad are super excited because they get work, and like just little stories like that is like that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, and none of that again feels as bizarre than just without sounding like like a '60s leftist as opposed to a millennial leftist. Like, just the cruelty that two humans show each other in war. Well, you know, yeah, that's true. I guess my, my thing, though, is when you say, like, it, nothing is as bizarre as, like, like the Kilgore Trout short stories or, like, the, the books that he writes. Uh, like, Vonnegut said in, like, uh, later books, because Kilgore Trout is a character who... Vonnegut's all of his books kind of have like this shared universe. Right. And really? you see, yeah, yeah, it's actually, it's it's pretty cool. Um and like you see these characters like pop in and out of like, you know, other works. Like yeah. Kilgore Trout is one. Uh Elliot Rosewater is another. Um but uh Kilgore Trout, uh Kurt Vonnegut has always said that like that was like a that was that was a proxy for him. Oh yeah. You know, and like all the the ideas that Kurt Vonnegut came up with, like a money tree. Yeah. A tree that actually grows money. And its flowers are diamonds. Its flowers are diamonds and its fruit is like or it, like it's government bonds and hundred dollar bills and diamonds. Like that's what it produces or whatever. And people like they fight each other to be close to the base of the tree. And that blood is what fertilizes the roots and lets it grow. That's just such a fucking bizarre, hilarious idea. But like you could never write a whole story about a no. whole book. You couldn't even write a short story. And I don't think you could write a short story on Kurt that. Vonnegut had yeah, not even a short story. Kurt Vonnegut had hundreds of these. And they're all, whenever you see Kilgore Trout, whenever he makes an appearance, he, you know, he's always, Kurt Vonnegut makes references to this one story and this one story and this one story. And it was like, you know, this story that he one time wrote, you know, anyway, there's hundreds of those. Yeah. They're all like really, really funny. <laughs> like, uh, oh my God. Another great one. The, uh, the planet that's just like populated by cars. No, I don't know this one. Uh, they like. What happens is like this planet, they fucking, he like wrote this in, you know, the sixties or whatever, like this planet, they, these people, like they, 
they love cars so much, but like the exhaust totally like chokes out the atmosphere in this planet. And so they send one guy, like a messenger, like off into space to find another planet to help them, you know, because they're they're dying. And the dude, the alien, he lands on Earth at like a, a honky tonk bar where a redneck fucking like picks him up off the, the bar surface, mistakes him for a match and tries like striking him under the bar and like <laughs> breaks the dude's neck. Jesus. That's the, I'm, is that not in no, Slaughterhouse 5? No, it isn't. Maybe that's, that's fucking time great. Quake. That might be in Time Quake. Yeah. That's a really, that's a fucking great one. Yeah. Vonnegut has, like I said, hundreds of those. And Kilgore Trout was the mouthpiece like in his, right, in the books sense. that he wrote. It's yeah. His, that's his dump. Um, um, those are the things that I find like really like, I don't know, funny and bizarre, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, my bizarre was just like, Ronald coming up with a delusion about the three musketeers based yeah. off nothing or uh cinder granted the Cinderella based a uh, play where all men would dress female uh, and male parts. That's historical, but like them going all out and having silver boots and like making costumes. You know, what's crazy? Think about the, uh, have you ever seen South Pacific? No. Have you seen South Pacific? Yeah. You know, fucking they, uh, when they put, in that movie, you know, and it was like a Broadway play. Right. They make fun of like these sailors, you know, in fucking, what was it? The Philippines, right? Yeah. They put on these plays and the fucking, these sailor men have to dress up like women, you know, to yeah. entertain rowdy sailors in the <laughs> Philippines during World War II. Uh, yeah, it's it's really funny. God, it's, uh, if you had to take away anything from this book in order to like learn or grow uh, as a comic... Well, you and know, I know if there's a book, it's difficult. It definitely, like I said, it like, I don't know if I learned anything from it, but like I, it definitely affected my writing style. Yeah. And, uh, which really is an extension of like my inner voice. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so that is later what I use to write my comedy, you yeah. know, my writing style, my sense of my inner voice and all that stuff. Um, and like descriptive ways to, you know, get your point across, you know, was really, uh, influenced by this book. Like when he says, uh, he talks about the tube, yeah, the tube in Billy's back that holds oh, all those God. important nerves and fucking Ronald's about to break that tube. Oh yeah. Like that, that idea. Like I, I try to do that with my comedy, find like a different way to describe something that makes it like, you know, really funny. Like, uh, like. My idea of, uh, I do a joke about a gringo tax, a Mexican place that charges people more if you order in English. That's a real thing at yeah. an actual restaurant. Yeah. And I fuck, I think that's hilarious and I like it. I'm, I'm not mad about it. I fucking, but I like wrote a joke about it mm -hmm. and that, you know, the finding a descriptive way to like playfully get your, your point across. I think I definitely picked up from this book. Oh yeah, my he has, sense of that. He has a really a lot of fun little ways to just describe things. Yes. Uh, it feels like he it feels like it doesn't feel like a Dr. Seuss way in which it's it's adding a bunch of weird words to create something different. It almost feels like he's creating his own turns of phrase phrases mm -hmm. and it just feels natural within his own writing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, tubes of yeah, I remember that line specifically. I'd actually have to take a step back and go, ah, oh, shit, I never described it. I've never heard it described that way. Right. And I I shivered. Yeah, it does kind of make you like, 
sit up straight and yeah. you know, make sure like your back isn't, you know, broken. Yeah. Laying like spoons is a one that he used a lot and it was a weird way of saying spooning. Um, yeah, but this was before that is, it, I had to take that as a time of the t- sign of the times or yeah, I don't know when spooning became like a term that we use, you know? Right. But, um, yeah, nestled like spoons. Nestles like spoons was one, and it was so effective. And it was always paired with bone and ivory feet. Blue and ivory. Blue and ivory. You're right. Blue and ivory. Yeah. Blue and ivory feet. When he's like typing in the rumpus room, I still use that to describe a room in my house. I have Just the rumpus room. The rumpus room. Yeah. I I somehow associate it with the dead hobo's feet. Dead hobo's feet. The homeless man that was in the uh, train. Oh. Then got out of the train and was. Just in and his the feet were blue and ivory. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that. Vonnegut does is he uses the same way to describe something multiple times. And it's kind yeah. of like a callback within his own, it is, you know, novel, that, yeah. you know, he uses to great effect. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I love like, so it goes. Yeah. It's such, it's such a laissez faire way of just saying someone died. It's not, Oh, well, it's not sad. It's very just, matter of fact and it's such a great way of describing death well in the in the book itself like you know the the premise is that when somebody dies they're actually only dead at that moment exactly there are thousands of other moments that still exist Mm -hmm. where they're alive you know and whether or not that's true you know that'd be that'd be nice it would be nice you know in a figurative way that's like we don't get to experience it that way you know we're still dead but yeah, that's because he says that's what the Tralfamadorians say. They say so it so goes. So it goes, yes. Know. And in a less than, in a more nerdy and more metaf- uh, metaphorical way. It's kind of like, you know. Star Trek II's uh, Rathacon, where I because it. It, Kirk during the funeral of Spock, a spoiler uh, for a 30, 40 year old film, uh, basically, if we still remember Spock in the memories, he's never really dead. Uh, and that's my similarity to it. Is that what they actually say in the something along those lines? Yeah. It's also in an episode of Seinfeld where George doesn't know what to say during funerals. So he uses that line. He uses the line. Yep. So it goes, or as long as we keep him in our memories. Yeah. Keep him in memories. And then now they like what they, that's all like non-canical, right? No, there's just two cannons down Star Trek. Oh, there are two cannons. Yeah. So it's like a multiverse thing going yes, on. All yes. Right. Everyone's doing that now. Yeah. You know, which is fine. Although uh Scooby Doo has its own multiverse, actually. It was in the comics. It's fucking bizarre. Scooby Doo has a multiverse. Because what Scooby decided to do is like all those different variations and retellings of Scooby Doo characters. Yeah. Including the film. Threw it in the comics, go, this is the multiverse. From the apocalyptic Scooby Doo uh comics. That I knew you knew cool. that. It's fucking cool. Uh Scooby doesn't talk. He has this holographic collar that shows off uh pictures of what he wants to say. Oh. Uh it's and uh Shaggy is less of like a pot eating, a pot smoking uh hippie and more of just like a hipster. It's like okay. yeah, that seemed right. Uh and it's it oh yeah and uh Velma starts the zombie apocalypse in a lab. Like all of that's all together. And that's what Star Trek is. It's just two separate universes. You know, I said earlier that I don't like superhero movies, but I have to admit, uh, I really, really, really liked Into the Spider-Verse. Oh yeah, Into the Spider-Verse is phenomenal. fucking great. As someone that always wanted to animate, I also had a special love for that movie. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. Well, what's hilarious is all those Spider-Mans are actual real fucking Hell yeah, lines of Spider-Man comics. Uh, Spider-Man Noir is actually uh, is, a, is a really fun one. Spider-Ham is, is a personal favorite. Spider-Ham, yeah. I fucking love Spider-Ham. Uh, I, I was confused with Penny Parker because I thought it was the there's a manga-verse uh, for the Marvel Universe, and that's not what it is. That's not what that one was, and so it took me a while. Um studied comics in college, whereas some people look down on science fiction. I studied comic books and their literary prowess. Yeah. And kids, not, and kids books. Did you read? Oh fuck. What was his name? I read a book. Uh, cause I, one of my classes that I took, they talked about comics a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it was like a textbook, but it was this guy, he wrote a graphic novel and he just talked about fucking writing graphic novels. Understanding comics. Yeah. Who wrote that? Who was the name? Do you remember? I think that, I own it. I, I it's yeah, sitting yeah, yeah. in my bookshelf right now. Actually, uh, well, you know, Neil Gaiman didn't he write? He wrote graphic novels, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, see, and he still does. I fucking fantastic. Oh, phenomenal! And Watchmen, you know? Oh, of course, with uh, Alan Moore. Yeah, uh, from Hell. That I actually just pulled it up as well. Yeah, uh, it is by Scott McCloud. Yes. That's yes, it. Scott McCloud. Yeah, uh, that's great. It's it's. Uh, I still think about uh, the gutters in between panels, and Scott McCloud does a really great chapter about the spacing in between panels. You uh, know what? I my favorite comic. Do you remember? This might be uh, before Calvin and Hobbes. Here's the thing: uh, in the newspaper, never read it. I actually ended up reading and doing a lot of research on Calvin and Hobbes because Calvin and Hobbes inspired by Pogo and by Crazy Cat. Crazy Cat's a 1916 comic strip uh, written by Harriman. Um, And it stars Crazy Cat, who is in love with Ignat's mouse. Ignat's mouse says he's not in love with Crazy, but he is and throws a brick at Crazy every week. That's the the tagline. Mm. And it's written so many different ways. And you can... You could use this as a great study of showing how the setup is way more important than a punchline. Uh, An office of pup, all spelled phonetically... Uh, loves crazy and is thrown throws Ignats in jail. What's fun about that is Harriman uh, wrote Ignats as canonically male, and Officer Pup is canonically male, but described at the time Crazy Cat like a pixie or a fairy and had no mm-hmm. gender. It was one of the very first non-binary mm-hmm. characters in 1916. Uh, but yeah, anyways, that was one of uh, that was. I forgot who wrote Calvin and Hobbes. That was his inspiration. Watterson. Another big inspiration inspiration. was uh, Little Nemo in Slumberland. It is Little Nemo, which was around the same time as Crazy Cat. Well, Little Nemo was like the turn of the century. That was like 1900s, 1910s. Yeah, same with Crazy Cat. was was, 1913. Yeah. But Little Nemo is phenomenally weird. And he like, you talked about like the gutters and the spaces in between. Like Watterson like banged his head against the wall in the early years of Calvin and Hobbes because he couldn't do what he wanted with the panels. Yeah. They were, it was so like mandated that they had to be, you know, sized a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, he had to fight a lot of the editors cause they would chop it up and move it. Well, they would chop up. You would always have like the, the opening panel would be the title panel. Yep. And then you could put something in there. And then the very next, uh, small panel, you'd have to have a throwaway joke. Mm-hmm. And that's why whenever you read like, uh, comics from like the early eighties and nineties or whatever. And you kind of see it now too. If you ever read the funny pages. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's often like a throwaway joke right at the start. And then the next line, you know, the main story of the comic strip starts mm-hmm. and that's because of like sizing. Yeah. Like the, the syndicates will actually, they'll 
remove that entire top strip. You know, those first two panels, the title panel yeah. and the throwaway joke, that's why you have to have a throwaway joke because that could get scrapped in the final layout of the newspaper page. Yeah. But he he fought so that nothing could be taken out, that his uh, it was a standard whole panel, the whole size, the, everything he got on the sheet. I think it was like Calvin and Hobbes was, I think, a third of the page. Yes, it was. Like that was the format that yeah. he like locked down, and then he did all kinds of crazy experiments with like you know the sequential nature of mm -hmm. comics and where the panels were aligned. Oh, it's, it's fucking amazing. It's been I read Calvin Hobbes for that I can remember the first time when I was twenty one, mm. um, and now I love it. Yeah, like, see, I, I grew go. up with it in the paper. It like ended in ninety five. Yes, it did, and I was eight. So. I was I was one. Yeah. So it was it was before my time. Um and now when I bought this, I also picked up like the oral history because I found it for cheap, the oral history of the Daily Show. And that might be a future episode uh for me. Uh and I don't know who would want to talk about that, but I found a was bunch of Was that the one written by John Stewart or was yep. that and okay. a bunch of other correspondents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think maybe I, the one I'm thinking of is maybe uh the Daily Show's guide to the planet Earth. Yes, uh, Earth. A uh, I've been looking for that one. That in America. America. Or, I've been looking for that for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I want to find a copy. I don't want to go on Amazon. Like I, I have a, a joy of going into a bookstore and hunting. Well, it does. They probably not at Barnes and Noble. You don't. No, in and the humor section. From what I could tell, no. That's where you got to look. It's also for America. I might double check. Uh, I like I. I live by the used bookstores in downtown. That's where I live by. So that's where I try and find stuff. But it might have to swing by Barnes and Noble. Well, you know what you could also do? Uh, I think those used bookstores, you could probably go up to them and, and see. Ask. Yeah. Hey, yeah. can you order this for me? Yeah. And, you know, they might be able to, like, order get it. it for you. Yeah. Uh, well, You're going to pay a little bit more, but yeah. it's a price. I personally don't mind. No, like, like the books more. there have been really, the Jackson Street bookstore, if you ever go, super cheap. Like I picked up a 600 page biography about uh, Kurtzman, the creator of Mad. That was mm. only 20 bucks. Nice. So uh, that was a great rate. And also like my copy of Breakfast Champions was six bucks. Nice. Yeah. So it's it's great. They have a great selection. I think they still have a small amount of Kurt Vonnegut books still out there. And I picked up like some Mary Shelley books. Well, just Frankenstein. Because I told me to read that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I was supposed to read it in high school, and I think that one was one that I just cliff noted. Oh, it's not amazing. It's not my favorite. Um, Frankenstein? It's no, it's not great. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's not. It's it's written by a poet, and you can tell because it's very flowery and a lot of wasted words is what it feels like. Um, well, that was the style at the time. Yes, and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely hate it. Um, but my learning from it is uh, from this going back to the question, so we can. Because I know there's no mic soon, and I don't want you to be gone forever. Oh no, no, you're fine. Um, my takeaway from this is take a step back and look at things sequentially. Uh, sequentially, yes, and so that you can see things and then see how they're in relation to other things and write from there. Yeah, don't always write in the emotion in the moment unless that's important. But take a step back and look at it, and that's that's where the humor comes from. Put things bare. Um, and so I have a couple of fast questions for you. Uh, first of all, is favorite sandwich? Favorite sandwich. Ooh, man, that's, you know, uh, a good grilled cheese. Yeah. With ham. You ever seen Chef, the John Favreau movie? 
Oh, uh, I've seen parts of it. There's a scene where he, uh, for his kid, he just got divorced. Spoiler, I guess. And he's with his kid and he makes his four cheese grilled sandwich. And just the way that it's shot and cut, that grilled cheese looks fucking heavenly. I'm actually going to change my answer. It's a Cuban sandwich, which Ooh. is kind of like a grilled cheese, but with a pork tenderloin and pickles yeah. and mustard. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be the Cuban sandwich. I like it. Just a good classic ham sandwich with some chips in it. See, I, that's what I do when I'm poor. I, I yeah. put chips on a sandwich because it feels like, oh, it's going to give it texture. And it's good. I like chips on sandwich. It's on sandwiches. Doritos, mm. uh, cheddar and sour cream, uh, ruffles. That's fun. That's a good one. But, I mean, come on. If I'm going to go all out and make a sandwich. Make a Cuban. Well, no, I'm, I'm talking about, like, I don't make Cubans at home. That's such a pain in the ass. But if I'm going to make a sandwich at home and I'm going to go all out, I'm going to get fucking lunch meat from the deli counter. Mm. I'm going to get good cheese. Yep. I'm going to get fucking like a nice fresh head of lettuce. I'm going to fucking slice a tomato. You know, I'm going to maybe fucking crack open an avocado, you know, and fucking. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to put chips on it. No, God, no. I, I put chips on my sandwiches when I'm slumming it. No, I mean, I'm not trying oh, to no, no. shit on your thing. These are like, more like, because uh, I've I've answered this question so many different times. I have to pick a different sandwich a lot you of pick time. A, a different sandwich every time? I try to. Because so then it's not it's even boring. your favorite sandwich. My favorite sandwich is if I'm really. What is your absolute favorite if sandwich? It's from when I'm drunk or even when I'm like That's bored. That's not a type of sandwich. If it's all circumstances, my favorite sandwich is piece two pieces of toast. Put it in, put in the toaster, medium uh, thing. Get some egg, hard yolk. Then I get a big chunk of onion, a lot of salt and pepper, okay. and some mustard and some hot sauce. That sounds awful. <laughs> it is. No, it is good. That sounds like a terrible sandwich. No, it's a good time. That or uh, I've had a grilled PB&J. Grilled PB&J is great with fucking bananas. I've Slice not had it with ban oh, yeah. bananas. Holy Even shit. Even just a banana, a peanut butter and banana sandwich. Oh, peanut butter and banana. I had that a lot as a kid. Yeah, Fucking love yeah. it. That's a bomb. tuna fish sandwich. Oh, a good tuna fish. Sandwich. How do you make a tuna fish? Uh, I just crack open the can. Yep. Well, I fuck, I drain it and I, dr I get it as dry as I Hell possibly yeah, you can. Do. Cause yeah. I don't like anyway. So it's like dry, dry, dry ass tuna. And, uh, I use like a light cucumber ranch and okay. I only use like, I, I use just enough I to make use it ranch. like, yeah, a lot of people use mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is good, but I like using ranch. That's a, that's a good idea. With some relish, mix that in there, you know. And then if you want to like put like a little paprika and maybe mm. some other things, some like uh, red pepper flakes. Yep. You know, you mix that's that's pretty. Sometimes, not always, I do that. But yeah, and then just on plain wheat toast. Plain white bread, or uh, wheat for me. But I take I dry out as much as I can for that tuna. Throw it in with just a little bit of mayo. Some corn, celery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Corn, celery, chopped up uh, onion. Nice crunch. Yep. And then salt, pepper, red pepper. All right. See, I'm on board. That's a that's a good sandwich. That's a good sandwich. It is. It's a good sandwich. Yeah. And then nothing. You don't need anything else. There's no sides. That's it. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, but, you know, having chips is nice. It's nice. Chips on the side is nice. Yeah. Or sometimes what I'll do is if I don't have bread... I'll make my tuna mix, right? Just and eat I'll it. eat that on fucking club crackers. Oh, sometimes I like to eat it with a spoon. Is there a better cracker than the club cracker? Oh, the bike. Uh, who's those little elves? Uh, those are the Keebler elves. Yeah. Yeah, they make. Does Keebler make club? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, those really buttery club crackers. Yeah. It's like amazing. Ritz are good, but like club. You're playing for second place. Like Ritz is, Ritz is fighting for second. That's, yeah. Yeah. I'm happy with Ritz. I won't, I won't knock Ritz out for eating but crackers in bed. A good club cracker. Mm. That's the best, right? Oh, God, yeah. 
Well, a little, uh, a little bit of your favorite tuna spread. That's fucking. Mm. I'm gonna try it. I'm not a huge fan of ranch, but I might try it with ranch, or I might try it with blue cheese. Yeah, blue cheese would be good. I have also, you know, what I've been wanting to try it with tzatziki sauce. Mm. Using tzatziki in my fucking tuna okay. instead of you know. Here's the thing, like I like mayonnaise, but I actually use mayonnaise on my grilled cheese instead of butter. That's that's the way to do it. But like just large servings of mayonnaise. It's kind of gross. I hate regular. I like use Miracle Whip over mayonnaise because it's it, see Miracle Whip is even worse for me. Mayonnaise is always so globby and it looks like it's spoiled. It's kind of yeah. It rides the line. You're rides not, the you line. Know, it's like buttermilk for me too. Have you ever actually drank a glass of buttermilk? Oh god, and buttermilk is only used for like it's making like pancakes and shit. Fucking sour. It's horrible. Yeah. No. Yeah. Use buttermilk to make things. I don't use it on its own. I use buttermilk when I eat something. I'm dared to eat something spicy. Buttermilk is a good. Fucking, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, a good substitute for mayo I've used like on a roast beef sandwich. Uh, onion, onion dip. Onion dip would be good, like French onion dip. Yeah. Yeah. That'd really be good. solid. It's yeah. On a on a uh, yet a big feast, or it's like Thanksgiving day after that. Make a sandwich with some turkey and some uh, and some onion dip. Some onion dip. Yeah. Because there's always tons of it after Thanksgiving. Hell too, yeah. You know. And then like a big slice of those cheese. tubs that have been ravaged by everybody. Like with yes. the, you know yeah. I'm gonna make some sandwich. I'm gonna make a lot of sandwiches tomorrow. That's that's just my day. Uh, weirdest open mic. Weirdest open mic experience, yeah. Oh man, so fucking so many. Um, the weirdest, weirdest open mic. I off the top of my head, I can't think of one, but I know what my weirdest show experience was. Please, was it was the first book show I had ever gotten on, and I at the time, like when I started doing comedy, uh, you know, there was the Duffy's open mic, right, and that was it for open mics. There was nothing else. Not even in Omaha, but there were still like, uh, there'd be an occasional show like once a month, you know, mm-hmm. um, there was a show up at the the waiting room. Yeah. I remember that. The fucking, uh, fancy party, like way back. Yeah. I'm dating yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I fucking got booked on this show at Louie's, which is up in that, uh, it's a gas station now up by Benson. Yeah. But before it was Louie's supermarket and it had like this bar in the parking lot. It was really weird. But uh, that's where the show was. And the guy who ran the show, he's a dude who doesn't even do comedy anymore, if that tells you anything. Yep. This dude was like, he said, we're going to get uh, $5 at the door from everybody. And that's for us, the people on the show. And the owner says he's going to give us 10% of all the alcohol sales. So it that's should be. a good be, gig. Yeah, a good gig. And at the time, I thought if you're on a show, if someone asks you to be on a show, they have to pay you. You know, and that's <laughs> yeah. what to me, like I was so frustrated because I wasn't getting on any shows because like I, I I don't know why when I started out, I was like I needed that fucking vindication or whatever. Right. Anyway, um, he was like, yeah, we'll pay you. Uh, we're get five dollars and 10 percent of all alcohol sales. And he said the show they had done the month before was packed. So I was like, all right, hell yeah, this is going to sound pretty sweet. Uh, I had seven of my friends show up. You know, the night of, this is, you know, big deal for me. Yeah. They all fucking paid $5 to get in to the door guy. But um, the place was packed, right? Fucking a lot of people there, a lot of people in the bar area. Um, But then it like devolved into an open, he put out a poster, which is still the worst poster I've ever seen for a comedy show. But it had my name on it in Comic Sans. All of our names were in Comic Sans. But, you know, there was a set lineup and it said it on the poster. But, uh... A bunch of like comics, you know, came to the show 
and asked if they could do time. And the guy who ran the show fucking put everybody up. Oh, Jesus. And the show was already like, it was supposed to start at eight. And I think we kicked off at nine 30. So it's already super late to begin with, but back, like nobody was like monitoring how much time people were doing. Like a guy goes up and he's supposed to do fucking five minutes and he did 15 Oh. And it was terrible. And the reason why he did so long is because he didn't end on a laugh. So he was just like waiting to end on a laugh, wait, rambling, just trying to find a laugh. And there were a lot of guys back then oh. who did this and nobody fucking called him on it. So that's why they kept doing it. He walked half the room. The guy right after him does another 15 minutes, walks half of what's left. So then I go up and fucking I've got my seven friends at one table and then four people at another table, and then like two people just in the crowd. And I immediately at the start start getting heckled by this fucking table of four people. God damn. And then my table of my friends, they stand up for me. They tell them to shut up, you know? And then kind of more people come in. Anyway, it's super rough. Um, at the end of the show, but actually, okay, so after my set, I went outside to have a cigarette. Right. The dude who was at the table of four, these two girls who were heckling me, their guy friend came up to me outside and said, hey, man, I just want to apologize. They only came here to look for somebody to heckle, and you were on stage right as they showed up. So that's the only reason oh. why. And I was like, uh, I mean, thanks for telling me, you know, but, man, that fucking. You just looked heckleable. What, what, a, couple of, what a couple of bitches. Anyway, <laughs> at the end of the night. Fucking the comic who's on stage, he's a guy who still does comedy. Uh, he went by the name Young Theo. I'm not going to say what he goes oh, by now. Oh, I, don't, I think I've heard legends of this Young so Theo. So he's on stage. Covering he starts it. getting heckled by two guys in the back. And, you know, Theo's like, fuck that. I'm not going to let them heckle me. So he starts making fun of them. Calls these two dudes a couple of Klansmen. And like people laughed at that. It was, right. it was a funny dick because these were two fucking white guys. Anyway, I, I assumed this dude fucking stands up from the back and fucking chucks a beer at Theo on stage. And it's a fucking it's a beer in a styrofoam cup. Shit. So it spills out and just totally drenches this poor girl who's sitting in the front seat. She just, from behind just gets drenched and the cup. You know, now it's like empty. So it like kind of like wiffle balls towards Theo. And he just like, without even missing a beat, just like ducks out of the way. It's like a fucking <laughs> boxing move, right? And uh, just with murder in his eyes, fucking drops the mic, steps off stage, and fucking charges at these two dudes who now they're fucking going towards the door. Um, and it, a big fucking fight like ensues like in the bar area and it spills out into the parking lot. And the host of the show gets up and says, that's our show, everybody. Fuck. And Theo comes back and is like, no, no, no. I want to do the rest of my time. But it didn't matter. Like, the show had totally fucking gone off the rails. Anyway, afterwards, after this is all said and done, this horrible show, uh, I asked the host, so how much money did we make? And I'm like, how much am I going to get paid? And he says, oh, my, uh, my door guy only collected $7. What? How? What the fuck? Then you need to fucking either fire that door guy because he's stealing from you or you're fucking flat out lying to my face because I brought seven friends of my own who all paid five and he's telling me he only collected se seven's not even a multiple of five. <laughs> How did he end up with seven? Like, dude, fuck what that. the fuck? So after all that, I didn't Nothing. get paid. Oh, and also he said the owner welched on the fucking 10% alcohol sales. 
because of the fight. But I mean, you know, whoever made the money on that show, they made a shit ton because there were like, honestly, probably close to like 80 people in there at one point. Shit. Yeah, it was the at the start of the show, the room was packed. The late start meant some people kind of drifted away. Then the terrible comedy fucking walked the cr- anyway. Terrible yeah. comedy will just uh, kick a lot of people out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for the long rambling. No, answer. I love that long... story. That's a weird ass story. Yeah. I love shitty shows. Like somehow it, it. Nah, man. See, I prefer like a fuck a real banger of a show. I would lo- don't worry. I love a banger of a show. I'm excited for Saturday because yeah, Saturday power is gonna be. Who all's gonna be on it? I don't know. I know at least you and me in Rome. And yeah. that's going to be fun. And that's a Saturday crowd and a Saturday show. And that's always going to be fun. But there's something about getting in the grime of it and going, I have to earn this and like get that memory. Yeah. And that's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I performed in front of two people at like Backline or like I had to compete with like a homecoming game uh, at a small town like in Bellevue mm-hmm. or uh, Apple Jacks. Uh, and I was, there was this one kid that was just, mean balling me the entire night until one joke just made him laugh and he was the only one laughing and that was that's all i needed stuff like that uh favorite joke uh my favorite joke uh it's the uh the guy who uh should i tell it it's a sh- what is like street joke oh yeah favorite joke of yours oh favorite joke of mine yes Oh man, that's like trying to pick like which testicle is my favorite. Come on, you can't make me you do that. You don't have a favorite testicle? Uh yeah, no, I do. Like lefty, he's a little he he doesn't hurt as much as yeah, Poncho. See? So definitely, definitely lefty's the favorite. But I like how one's lefty and the other is not righty, but Poncho. And actually there it's flipped. You would think lefty would be the really? left. Really? Yeah. Okay, I like that. I but like um it. no, um my favorite joke, probably the one that I'm not sick of telling. Which is whatever joke is newest at that time, you know. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you? What's your, uh, does that, does it have to be a joke I wrote or like my favorite street joke? If you have a favorite street joke. My favorite street joke is dude is at the bar and he fucking gets drunk and like throws up all over his shirt and he says to the bartender, oh man, fucking, uh, my wife's going to kill me. Like she fucking told me that if I got drunk to the point of puking on myself again, she was going to leave me. And the bartender says, Oh, I got an idea. And he takes a $10 bill out of his tip jar and he slips it in the front pocket of the drunk guy's shirt. And he says, when you get home, tell your wife that uh, somebody else at the bar threw up on your shirt and they gave you a $10 bill to cover the, the dry cleaning. And uh, the guy says, Oh, that's a great idea. Hell shit. Order me another beer. You know, well, anyway, he gets home that night and, uh, you know, his wife confronts him at the, at the door. And she's like, what the fuck, Jerry, you puked all over yourself again. You got so drunk. And he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, somebody else threw up on my shirt here. Look, he gave me, he gave me a 10 for the dry cleaning. And she looks at it and says, this is a 20. <laughs> he says, oh yeah. He also shit in my pants. <laughs> My favorite street joke, my dad, when I go camping with him, would try and tell me a bunch of street jokes. My favorite was an old uh, man walks into a bar and asks for a beer. Bartender gives him beer, and the man wants another beer, but this time for free. And the bartender says, okay, well, there's a horse next door. You got to make it laugh. Guy walks over, makes the horse laugh in no time, gets his free beer. And then the next day, he comes back in, asks for another free beer. Bartender says, okay, but now you have to make the horse cry. 
It does, and in less time than before, horse is crying. After a few hours, the bartender asks the man, so how did you make the horse laugh and cry like that? The guy says, easy. Yesterday, I told him my dick was bigger than his, and today I proved it. That's pretty good. Yeah. That or because I was super Catholic, my dad told me the jokes, uh, a lot of Catholic jokes. My favorite was Jesus walks into a hotel, puts three nails down and asks if they can hang him up for the night. That's yeah, that's pretty good. That's nice and dark. It's nice and dark. Yeah. That was, that was my dad. (laughs) I was like 10. (laughs) Yeah. I, I love dark humor like that. Oh. I would always try and like write dark jokes as a kid. And like, I had like a series of OJ Simpson jokes and I didn't know the trial. I just heard OJ Simpson jokes on Todd and Tyler mm. and would just write those, try and write those jokes. Yeah. And just knew that OJ was a murderer. I didn't know he played football. All I know is what everyone should remember is that he killed some people. Yeah, he fucking killed his brutally murdered, brutally his, murdered his wife. Yeah. So and I would write boyfriend. Yep. I uh, tried to write jokes like OJ Simpson jokes and dead baby jokes just to shock and make my dad laugh. Again, I was 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine when you're 10. It's not fine when you're 25. Sure. Yeah. And at a bar. You know, that was one thing. Like when I was in high school, it was dead baby jokes and Chuck Norris jokes. And I got so sick of both of those. I was like, I don't find these funny. I, I regret laughing at Chuck Norris jokes because then I had to hear him for a few more years afterwards. At least Chuck Norris jokes are like a little, you know, I don't know. No, they suck too. No. The only thing with Chuck Norris is what makes it evergreen. So you can change that with like Charles Bronson. Anyone else? Little Death Wish? Yeah. I don't know why when I said, hey, you know what's evergreen? Death Wish. Mm. Or, or you could do like Sean Connery. You could do you Sean know? Connery. All those jokes are the exact same. Well, that's what's interesting is like we talk about dead baby jokes and fucking uh, Chuck Norris jokes. But I remember when I was a kid, it was blonde jokes. Yeah. And like slightly before that, like my fucking older relatives told Polish jokes. There's Polish jokes in this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um, but what's interesting is like it's the same. Like they're always the same. It's the same three. It's the same. Yeah. Like you see like the same jokes. They just have like a different thing they're making, you know. And they, it's like, it's cyclical every fucking generation or so they, they all fucking pop up again. Now you've got like internet memes. So that'll probably be, and even that's starting to get, Oh, like that's yeah. Like cyclical. Like I remember rage comics and, uh, like the, uh, like intense wolf memes where it's just a picture inside oh, yeah, with those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now it's beans. Beans. One meme that I've seen a lot is you take a container, like I've seen someone like unscrew and remove all the insides except for the buttons of a GameCube controller and fill it with beans. Hmm. I, I guess I haven't seen like I baked beans. Baked be- like Bush's baked beans. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. The one thing I remember recently is like the fucking guy who was like fixing fucking uh, furniture with the ramen noodles. Did you have you seen yes, that? Yes. Like what the fuck? It's so <laughs> ridiculous, but. Is that does that actually count see, as a meme? Well, I mean, yeah, it counts as a meme. Yeah, right? yeah. But my question is, is that real? You know, I've heard like different accounts. It's, I, a, it's I believe in my heart it does. I love how he always puts the fucking seasoning packet on there too. Fuck yeah, you do. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So you keep that chair spicy. Whereas like 
when you're fixing furniture, you would think that'd be the you know the one thing you don't want to include. I don't know. It, it's <laughs> is chicken flavoring. Is the yeah is that yeah. fucking sodium laden fucking seasoning packet? Yeah. Uh, and the last question, besides what type of ramen flavor is your favorite? But it's chicken. What t- what is my favorite ramen yeah. flavor? Yeah, Eco Ramen in Benson does a kimchi broth. Oh, that I've never had real ramen. Bomb.com. I get it with the udon noodles. Well, okay. That's my favorite type of ramen, which an udon. Have you ever had an udon noodle? I'm going to let you know the only ramen I ever had are those. Is that fucking shit that you buy at the. Okay, well. You know, Again, I, if this and the sandwich didn't tell you anything is I grew up incredibly poor and it's not gotten out of me. Fucking treat yourself. You have a good paying job, right? I do. Fucking treat yourself one of these nights to fucking Ika. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'll do that. Uh, this week, I think I'm going to just stay in. I'm not feeling too great, so I'm not going to go to the open mic. Oh, you're not going to? No. Barley. Barley. Dude, barley's been, I, I, it's been pretty good lately. It's been yeah yeah it has been it has been really good um but the last the regular question we ask is why do you tell jokes why do you keep doing it uh you know the fucking the first time i got a lap it was actually the first time i ever did stand up i it was a total fluke it was like a mic malfunction that worked out in my favor but i ended up doing really well all these silly jokes that i had written which were about mcdonald's just yeah i had like fucking pages of just jokes about mcdonald's um anyway uh, that first laugh I got, yeah, dude, it was better than fucking any blowjob I've ever had. It fucking felt better than like any drug I've ever tried. Like getting like a whole room of strangers to fucking laugh at something that you said on stage. Oh, it's the it, fucking best. It's the highest high you'll ever feel. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it was that. And also seeing two guys in the back going, hey, man, he's just like you. And it's just like, oh, that's it. I want to say, and your listeners are going to sound like I haven't had very good blowjobs throughout my life. That's not the case. I've had some, some top-notch ones, but you can't can't beat getting that laugh. No, I, I I'm or not gonna, connecting with someone. You know, yeah. I was going to say, like, I don't know if I've had amazing blowjobs. I've had blowjobs. It's like pizza. We're all good. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You know, you're just lucky enough to be in there, I'm you just, know. So you got to I'm happy coach put me in. Like that's exactly. just yeah. that's just what it is. Um, that's true. But yeah, connecting like just after that, like I never wanted not do anything ever like that again. Yeah. Yeah. Where can we find you if we can? Uh I uh well, like I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is all fun no jams or no. Yeah, I think that's it. All all jam- I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. I'm on Facebook. I share stupid stuff on Facebook. Uh, I share like dates and stuff. And also on Instagram, I share that stuff too. All fun, no James. That's my Instagram handle. Nice. Uh, I'm, I am James Lindsay on Twitter. I'll post silly stuff on there. And um, Facebook, obviously find me on Facebook. Yeah. Um, I host a show at the Bourbon. Yes, you do. Called Getting Busy with James Lindsay. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. So... It's uh, it's been it's been a staple of Omaha. Getting busy with James Lindsay, or like in the Omaha comedy, I yeah. consider Omaha and Lincoln the same comedy. They are scene. kind of the yeah. same comedy scene, yeah. So like, I, sure. it's been a staple. It's been there for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doing it for a couple of years now. Yeah, hell yeah, that's that's pretty good. We'll have to get you on sometime soon. I would love to. Oh I've, yeah, I've I've never been on. Um, I uh, basically you can find me on Twitter as Plum Jeremy and Instagram as Plum Jeremy, and that's uh, that's it. 
But uh, James, thanks for having me on. Thanks, uh, thanks for having Sorry, me. fuck. No, thanks for being You're on. You're very welcome. <laughs> Glad I could bring All you right. in. Uh, and with that, po tweet tweet. Po tweet tweet. Mm-hmm.